The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. the markets ended strong last year, right? There's got to be a silver lining somewhere. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with Wade. And just like they do in the love boat, I'd like to introduce a very special <laughs> guest, a reoccurring guest, Bob French. Just think of him as the Vic Payback of the love boat. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Alex. But uh, but I think you're dating yourself there a little bit. That's, that's a little bit before my time there. So. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. I don't mind. Uh, I mean, it's a 70s sitcom, but I saw the reruns okay, for the record okay. and in the yeah. 80s. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, the the Vic Tayback one was. Uh, Love Boat was 80s hardcore. So, yeah, I guess I am, but so yeah, be Bob, it. I know we'll have at least... If that's wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> yeah. We'll have yeah. at least one listener who's very excited because their specific feedback to the show was that we needed more Bob French. So That's right. It wasn't even me Bob. who wrote that one, so... <laughs> Yeah, more Bob, more cowbell, right. more Bob, less me probably. <laughs> or, or you're the cowbell, why are the others? So. Possibly, possibly. All right, Bob, what, what, did, what did we rope you yeah. in today so, for? Um, you know, with the beginning of the new year, we wanted to kind of come on and, and talk a little bit about kind of the year in review or the, the market review of, of 2022. You know, we, we all kind of know it's not something we want to – fixate on or, or focus too much on, you know, year by year type of performance numbers, you know, the, the exact numbers themselves, you know, don't make, I mean, they make a big difference. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be cavalier about that, but you know, they're, they're kind of something that is a little bit noisy and they're going to bounce around. Um, but what's really important to do is kind of just keep abreast of generally what's going on. What are the stories that we should be paying attention to? What's, what's happening out there? And how might that affect, you know, our longer term retirement investments? Um, so that's kind of the type of stuff we, we want to be focused on here. And, and actually, before we even jump into the market review, um, you know, I, I think it's worth calling out why we're paying attention to this type of stuff with the, the retirement dashboard that Wade's actually just updated here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, before we started recording, we were talking about things and realized we now have an episode for next week, and that's to go through the retirement income dashboard, which everyone can see. It's now updated for January 2023, and it's at retirementresearchercom dashboard. And it's been almost two years since the last time I updated it. I've been neglecting it a little bit, but it's worth an update because since the last time, interest rates are much higher. And that has a big impact on sustainable spending from investments, from bonds, from annuities. Uh, at the same time, though, in, with inflation being higher at this point, although I think Bob, part of what we'll talk about today is we may have some relief on the horizon there, but at least with a higher starting point for inflation, that still creates some concern for the true inflation-adjusted spending strategy in retirement. Uh, there's a big difference now between that and just assuming a simple 2% cost of living adjustment on spending. But we'll really dig into all that next week as a, a follow-up and application for what Bob will be telling us today in terms of the year in review with how markets performed in 2022, as well as their recent past. Great. Um, yeah, and, and that's really the important piece here, to kind of take all of this stuff that sort of happens in the market and figure out how it impacts that, that longer term, which is really what um, a lot of that stuff on the retirement dashboard, retirement income dashboard, excuse me, really, really gets at. Um, and again, that's at retirementresearchercom slash dashboard. But as Wade said, you know, we'll really dive into it next week and, and really tear it down um, to give you some really, really great information there. But yeah, check it out. I, I think it provides a lot of context and the, the titles 
of the tables are, are fairly self-explanatory. Uh, but uh, we'll get into that in the next one because, I mean, really today's episode is about how the markets moved while, you know, we took a revolution around the of the sun. The the retirement dashboard really talks about the context of all of that. So I, I think it's quite important. Absolutely. But, but talking about how the markets moved as we went around the sun again here, um, you know, let's let's kind of dive into to some of the numbers. We're not going to go, you know, point by point for the next half hour. Um, but we, I think it is worth touching on some of the high points here. Um, and we'll, we'll actually start off on a good note and just focus in on on the fourth quarter. Um, you know, this fourth quarter actually was was pretty darn good uh, across the board. So, you know, just running through a couple of the numbers, uh, the Russell 3000 index, which is a pretty good representation, a very good representation of the totality of the U.S. stock market. You know, that was up almost 7.2% on just the fourth quarter. The MSCI World XUS index, that was up almost a little over 16%, 16.2% almost. Uh, emerging markets up 9.7%. Uh, S&P Global REIT, so kind of REITs around the world, that was up almost 6.9%. And the Bloomberg aggregate, uh, kind of the U.S. bond market, that was up almost 1.9% uh, just on this past quarter. So overall, really, really solid quarter. Couple, couple of things with this, Bob, and this, this, just want to point out, a, well, real quick, uh, we, we mentioned the Russell 3000. And we probably need an episode just on like indices when we get to into our investment themes. But uh, again, you can say, no, the S&P 500 is representative of the market. I, I want to point that out because the Russell 3000, you don't see that in the tickers of CNBC and, and the like. Uh, you know, it's you know, effectively the, the what is investable 3000 yep. stocks Largest within the entirety of the U.S. stock market. In the US stock market. Yeah. Where the S&P 500 are, you know, the 500 companies are the most representative of the U.S. economy. And so there's it, – it's, it's, it doesn't give you the full sample. And so you can make the case that's a little more precise, the Russell 3000. And well, it yep. is. You know, it's, it's not just large cap. It's the entirety of the market. Now, something that we said, uh, to the theme of around the sun, you know, for whatever reason, we demarcate ourselves in terms of year end, you yep. know, that kind of beginning of the year, year end. If the year – if October was January and we're doing a first quarter review – and we see these returns where there's like a ticker tape parade, like, oh, my goodness, look at this. What a great year we're having. Go, yep. go, go. You know, the first, you know when, the, when the S&P, when the stock market returns positive in the first quarter, it has this percent of finishing positive for the rest of the year. We think like that, right? But because this is the last quarter of what ultimately are four consecutive, you know, four quarters where it's not so bad, we, we tend to view these returns as, well, you know what? It's still bad for the year, so you're less sort of sanguine about yep. it. You know, it, it's kind of a cool little—not cool, but it's an interesting it thing, is. right, Bob? Where mm. people are like, "Well, thank goodness the fourth quarter was up," because if not, it would have been a very poor year. Whereas, well, it is a poor year, but you know, it would have been even worse. Whereas, if it, if these returns are in the first quarter, I think people's outlook is magically Wildly different, different. Yep. because it's new no, year. Man. So I, I just and want to point to that, that out. point, um, you know, it's been a little while ago, but uh, if you remember Bill Miller, for a long time, he had this streak. I think it was Bill Miller, but he, for a long time, he had yeah, this yeah, streak yeah, where every year he beat the S&P 500. Um, but oh, that yeah. was because they were measuring it from January to December. If you shifted the start point, uh, he was not having I – mean, he was doing pretty well for himself still, but – no, he did not have yeah, the overall returns were good. Hey, Bob's not trying to discount streak that. He had. Um, you know, it's all in, in how we measure this type of stuff. But as Alex did point out, you know, we, we do measure it by the year. And unfortunately, 2022, as good as the fourth quarter was, that's how bad 2022 was overall. Uh, those first three quarters were bad enough uh, to more than deal with a good fourth quarter. Um, again, just to run through the, the numbers. The Russell 3000 down 19.2. Um, and to call out the S&P there, Alex, uh, the S&P was down 18.1 uh, over the entirety of 2022. Uh, MSCI World XUS, so kind of developed international, 
that was down uh, almost 14.3%. Emerging markets down a little more than 20%. Uh, S&P Global REIT, again, REITs around the world, down a little more than 243 And then... And REITs, just because we, we don't yeah. exactly know the overall sort of... Per, REIT you know, stands for yeah. Real Estate Investment Trust. So it's basically a diversified, moderately, depending on which one you're talking about, diversified portfolio of property holdings. Um, and there's some specialized kind of forum type of things about how much they have to distribute and, and stuff like that in terms of their income. But generally, uh, in a diversified way, if you're looking to include kind of real estate in your portfolio, which is pretty common, um, you know, that's how you would do it in kind of a broad, easily tradable type of fashion. So you don't have, you don't own an apartment building in your IRA or something like that. You own a REIT, which owns a bunch of properties, a bunch of apartment buildings, um, you know, either in a specific region or, you know, across the country or whatever it might happen to be. Um, but that brings us to, you know, the Bloomberg aggregate. Uh, so again, the U.S. bond market. And over the entirety of 2022, uh, it was actually down a little over 13% on the year. Um, you know, so bonds did not have a great year in 2022. Um, and Bob, just taking that a bit further, I saw that the numbers had come in for treasuries and, and long-term U.S. treasuries were down a little over 26% for the mm -hmm. year, which is the uh, biggest of any of these numbers in terms of a Absolutely. loss. And, you know, that's just straight up, that's, that's interest rates moving. That's, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's what happens when interest rates move. Um, you know, a lot of that was driven by, obviously, the long-term bonds which are going to have the most dramatic impact uh, based on what interest rates are doing. Both, you know, when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Um, but, you know, that's those are the things that have gone up the most when, you know, over the past, what, 20, 30 years, bond or interest rates have been coming down. Um, you know, so that's that's one of the reasons that we talk about those being more volatile and kind of more risky based on those interest rate moves. So, um, but, you know, one thing I do want to stress uh, as we're talking about some of these numbers, you know, as, as Alex pointed out, you know, we're talking about kind of one year type of numbers. Um, but we all kind of know that one year is a little bit of a drop in the bucket. Now, I don't want to minimize this. Um, you know, we all did just lose, depending on your allocation, call it 20% of your money over the past year. That's that happened. Um, but it's always important to think about investing in that longer term kind of context. Um, you know, we don't invest for a year. We know that if we're going to be investing, we're going to be putting our money at risk. And this is what putting our money at risk looks like, unfortunately, every once in a while. Yeah. And and, and and if you even think about it, when you're seeing, when you're seeing that you know what's the expected return of the S and P or something like that, you, yeah, I don't know the exact number right now when you look historically, but it's something like you know ten percent return with a standard deviation of seventeen, yep. you know something like that, and so that means sixty seven a standard deviation is a measure of central tendency, and so what it's it's saying is that the average is ten, give or take, you know, but you know just humor me here, it, the average is ten then you can expect 68% of the time it's going to be 17 or, you know, with a standard deviation of 17, it's going to be 27 or negative yep. seven. You know, that's a, that's a wide range, but that's what, so that's, that's what that means when you say standard deviation. And so to some extent, a negative 19 on the Russell 3000 is bad, but you know, it, it's, it's not, you know, it's not unexpected because that was 67% of the time. One more standard deviation, which which is with the realm of yeah. possibility, you know, no, and that. We can actually touch on that in a second. But I wanted to kind of call out that even if we extend this out to, say, five years, you know, that Russell 3000 return, the five-year annualized return ending, you know, the end of the year, 2022, was 8.8% .8 per year. So if you held it over five years, you know, that was your holding period return, you know, that 8%, 8.8% per year. That's still. And think about everything that's happened this past year, everything that's been happening, uh, you know, a pandemic, all of this. Thing. 
No, uh, if someone came up to you five years ago and said, "Hey, look, the S and P is going to return Russell three thousand. You know, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, the Russell three thousand is going to return such and such. And then I'm going to give you a choice of these things happen, these things happen, <laughs> these things will happen. You know, what I mean, three possible things that happen. One of them is rosy, one of them is just normal, and one of them is this this pandemic scenario that we just had. Who would pick the pandemic scenario as as you know as as being the things that happen? And still capturing these yeah. returns, I, I would. Yeah, you know, on a guess, absolutely. I would. Absolutely. And then, so I mean, it was a pretty typical five-year span. Uh, and then, if we go out to the past ten years, the Russell three thousand it annualized at twelve point one percent per year. You know, this has been a really, really good decade, even with everything that's been happening. Um, you know, so even if we start expanding this out, even a little bit. Because 10 years is not particularly a long-term time frame in terms of investing or retirement planning. Um, you know, we're still seeing really, really solid returns out there. Um, you know, not just in the Russell 3000 or the U.S. stock market, but, but across the board. I think that's always really, really important to keep in mind as we're talking about this. And, and in fact, um, you know, this weekend... We actually released our, our Occam's Razor, our kind of quarterly newsletter, um, where I was actually talking about what does the long term actually mean. So I'm not going to belabor the point. You guys can all either have read it or, or can easily go read it. But, you know, I really want to drive that home that the long term is a lot longer than you think. Um, well, but you, you mean it. You mean it from the standpoint of how long do we have? To, I yeah, think, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm th- I think you mean it as in. How long should the expectation be to capture unexpected market right. return as opposed to, you know, as opposed to what your advisor tells you when your portfolio is down and they say, oh, long term, long term. You know, that, I, that I will kind of admit, thing. It, unfortunately, it's the right answer. It does feel like a, more than a bit of a dodge when the markets aren't cooperating. But but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we want to be thinking about the, what long term means in the context of, you know, how long do we need to wait, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, to be able to let the fundamental risk and return relationships in the market kind of assert themselves to come out of or for that random walk to cancel itself out, basically. Um, but just to put some numbers around that, um, you know, looking at and we go into this a lot more detail in the article. But, you know, from 1926 through 2022, about 14% of rolling 15-year periods for the S&P 500 index actually lost to five-year treasuries. So 14% of the time over any 15-year period that you were, if you were to pick that randomly, stocks lost to bonds uh, and not even crazy bonds, five-year treasuries. Um, This is something that's normal. This is something that happens even over periods that people think of or think should be long-term, but they're not. Um, You know, another way to think about it is really what we're seeing isn't all that unusual. Um, So to put, again, put some other numbers around it, this past year was the seventh worst year for the S&P 500 since 1926. So that's 97 years total. So seventh worst out of that. But if we flip that around, what that's saying is that, you know, we would expect a year this bad or worse once every 14 years, which is kind of about what we're seeing. You know, go back to 2008. So I I guess that would be 13 years. But, you know, it's, you know, the mar- this is one of those few times when the market's being kind of neat or kind of orderly, I guess, you, if you want. Um, but this stuff happens uh, and it seems to be happening about as often as we expect. Let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by Retirement Researcher. You can learn more about Retirement Researcher at retirementresearcher.com and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit. Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals. Yeah. No, it's not it's not the one year drop that that 
that that's that's to me capturing my attention. And Wade, I, I want you to chime in here. For, so you're saying the statement you said was 14% of rolling 15-year stock periods, 15 year periods yeah. end up under – yeah, 15-year periods end up underperforming bonds. That means like – you know, from 1926, add five, 15 years, and then, you you know, what was the return? From 1927, right. add 15 years, what was the return, et cetera, et cetera. Do that until present day. So so roughly 85% of the time you do, you know, yep. stocks outperform. 15%, it, 14% it doesn't. Wait, that, 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 that that's just harkens back to the whole fragile decade for me mm-hmm. and taking distributions. And not, not I'm not saying don't do it or anything like that, but, like, you have to pre- be prepared – to accept these consequences, if you happen to be in that fourteen percent, but wait, what, 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 does that impact you as strong as it's impacting me? That that kind of statement that Bob made. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's always the context of this is retire with style, and when you're accumulating assets, like the the question of what is the long term, <laughs> when you're accumulating, the long term may be longer than when you're in retirement. Uh, if you have a poor market performance over those 15 years straddling your retirement date, that can create significant problems that extend well beyond those 15 years just because you don't have the portfolio left at that point to maintain the lifestyle that you're looking for. So risk does have that bigger impact in retirement. But in a pure accumulation mindset, it's a little easier to to digest the numbers that say, well, uh, every once in a while, you'll have a 15-year period where stocks cannot outperform bonds. Yeah, and it's a little different if you're yeah. that right before you retire. Uh, we start going into one of those periods, unfortunately. But yeah, but these things are exactly. independent of each other. So if you have 50, I'm just going to round. If you have a 15% chance, and this is your nest egg, and you're going in a strategy that's yeah. all in on that, that's a you know, it's almost like a just. Right. Oh, yeah. And again, that's that's purely stocks versus bonds. So, you know, that's true. For I know, I know but it's it's it. it's a bad it's a but it's not like you, you went down, but it's just one of these that I'm sure if stocks underperform right. bonds, you're going to start contemplating. Oh, yep. oh, oh no, no matter what. Um, but that's why people put part of their portfolio in bonds. Um, or in other, you know, say an annuity or yeah. building out some of those other safety but, first. Things. I know, but this year, congratulations, bonds are down. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. It's how you feel about you feeling better, point, you know. Ultimately, it's kind of are you safety first or are you probability based? And it's how much that data point uh, causes any sort of concern really represents maybe which way you lean on that uh, retirement income factor absolutely and and actually on that point um you know uh, with stocks and bonds being down in the same year um you know i've seen a lot of people talking about that because it is a little bit unusual um you know a lot of the times people talk about diversification as you know hey you buy all these types of things you know stocks bonds all the different stocks out there because you know when this thing goes down the other thing goes up uh, you know, when stocks go down, bonds go up or the other way around. We didn't particularly see that this year. Um, so, you know, I think it's worth kind of calling this out and, and putting some numbers around this and, and helping people think through this, because I've seen a lot of people out there talking about how this is, you know, obviously one year of data, but proving that, you know, diversification is debt. Um, you know, all of the million times this past you know decade, diversification has died. Uh, but it, it's worth kind of talking a little bit about because it is weird. Um, you know, and it is something that a lot of people are not having fun with, uh, to put it mildly. So, just again to put some quick numbers around it, using the S and P five hundred and five year treasuries. You know, the S and P five hundred. Um, you know, again, Alex over calendar years. Uh, you know, it's been down 26 out of the 97 calendar years, five-year treasuries. Um, you know, it was down 12 out of 97 uh, calendar years. And there's only been three occasions where both were down at the same point in time or over that same year. So 1932, 1969, and then 2022, obviously. So it is really rare. But, you know, it's it's worth considering that stocks and bonds are pretty darn uncorrelated. They, they move 
independently of each other effectively. So, you know, over the total time period, 26 to 22, the correlation was about as close to zero as you can get. It was 0.06. So effectively independently, but even more, more recently since 2020. So these past three years, you know, the correlation is only about 0.1. Um, still really, really low. So what does that mean, Bob? Yeah, just so absolutely. So correlation is just a statistic. Well, the, the point one, the, 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 the numbers behind we'll it. We'll get there, Alex. So. <laughs> okay, okay. Correlation is just the statistical measure of if I tell you one number, how much can you tell me about the other number? What's the relationship between these two data sets? In this case, the returns of stocks and the returns of bonds. Uh, so a correlation of one means they're perfectly correlated. If I tell you one number, you can tell me the, the corresponding number in the other data set. Ne uh, negative one just means it's a negative perfect relationship like that. Correlation of zero means they don't, they're not related in any fashion. Um, you know, it's just random numbers to each other effectively. So as you get closer to one, the relationship gets tighter and tighter, um, more and more solid. So a correlation of 0.1, there's nothing there. Um, you know, there's something there, but not much. Alex, it looks like you want to jump in there for a second. No, no, no. You're um, on a roll. <laughs> and well, Bob, we, did, so, we never actually mentioned, but the five-year treasuries were down 9.4% in 2022. Yeah. So almost so half the amount another, of the S&P. Half the amount, yeah. Uh, so another not fun year for, for those five-year treasuries this past year. But, you know, what... What I want to call out is, you know, they're they're moving independently of each other. So if you were to go through and just say, you know, what's the likelihood that two random independent things with these probabilities, you know, based on what the S&P 500 did and five-year treasuries did over this time frame, what's the chance, just complete random chance that they would both be down in the same year? Well, that works out to... Uh, about a 3.3% chance, which if you turn it into how many years we see, that's about three years out of every 97 or out of every 100 years, uh, we would see both the S&P 500 and five-year treasuries down in the same year. This is our third observation over that time frame. So again, the market's actually being incredibly well-behaved for us, which is very, very weird uh, in and of itself, but it, we're seeing what we expect here. It just happens to be a plus one standard deviation event, and yep. it happens. I mean, the, there's a reason Absolutely. for that. Negative 20, whatever. Well, I forgot the number exactly, but negative 19, was it? Uh, yeah, negative 19 yeah. is, you know, is out there. I mean, it's not unexpected, but is it, would you expect that 67% of the time? No, but. It yep. could happen. It's something it's we got to build into at least our mental models as we're thinking about, do I want to be putting my money at risk in the financial markets? Do I want to be in the stock market? How do I want to build out this portfolio and build out my asset allocation? The, the other point, and I, I, I remember in our huddle up previously, we, we did talk about it, but okay, I think this is just conjecture on my part, right? Uh, I, I and you know in the morning as I've been working from home I do watch like CNBC in the morning because I, I just like the game I'm not necessarily looking at it for any insight I just like the I, I love the markets right I just love listening to it and I, I think there's just this overwhelming sort of news about like the select group of stocks right the Alphabet the Meta yeah. the the, 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 the all, Alphabet and Meta change their names so they're throwing names, me off yeah. Apple whatever right and you're looking at those. And those are down like 60%, 70%, you know, it's like crazy numbers like that, at least at some point. Maybe right. they've gone up a little bit more since then. So it kind of just – it contributes to that negativity. And you, you had mentioned is diversification dead from bonds. You know, there's another reason you diversify, right, from specific company risk. And the reality is I'll take a negative 19% any day versus – Owning uh, Facebook yeah. for the year, you know that. No, absolutely, that, that the, kind of, of the Fang stocks, which is what a lot, a lot of what gets talked about. You know, again, the Russell three thousand, so the total U.S. stock market. Just put that benchmark on there. Down about nineteen, a little more than nineteen. 
Um, the best performer out of that group is Apple. And over 2022, it was down uh, 26.4. That was the best of the FANG stocks. The worst, which Alex called out, Facebook ended the year down oh, was uh, it? 64, a little more than 64% on that year. Now, the only thing I would say, Bob, someone could say, yeah, but I've owned it for five years. Sure. And that beats an 8% return annually okay. that, that you would have had in the Russell, whatever, 3,000. Maybe. I don't maybe, know. I don't know. Oh, you know what I mean? So. <laughs> if you drop 60, 70% one year, you gotta do that, takes, well. that Which, takes a bite you know, to I mean, you. That takes a huge those bite. Those stocks have done really well over the past, call it five years or whatever you want. I don't know where it falls out, but. Um, yeah, I mean, if we could, if you could, at the beginning of those five years, be able to confidently say, "Hey, here's what my return on, you know, Netflix is going to be." Cool, great, um, you know. <laughs> Bill Miller's yeah, calling. We would not be having this conversation. <laughs> you would be on your private island in the Caribbean somewhere, not talking to anyone. Um, but you know, unfortunately, we we can't do that. We can't make those predictions. So. You know, what we have to do is is kind of take the market as it is and make the best of what we can. Now, now Bob, we're sort of reading here, you know, previous year's returns and somebody could 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 kind of say to themselves, well, all right, great. You can read a newspaper. Yep. You can, like, put things down on a paper and write notes and tell me what I already know. Yep. Right. Kind of. Maybe. Uh what about going forward, Bob? What about going forward? That's what I need Absolutely. to know. Well, let me get my crystal ball here. Um, but I think there there's some some really important stuff to be be taking away here in terms of you know thinking about what this means going forward. So one is well, now we have one more year in our data set. You know, now we can use this information to give us more of an idea of what the market will look like. Going forward, we got one more year in our average returns. We got one more year in all of these types of numbers. The other thing we want to be thinking about is how is this impacting myself? You know, we've seen, you know, some pretty wild market swings in the past, call it three years. Uh, you know, how, what new information has that given you? about yourself in terms of your risk tolerance. You know, how, oh, that's how a good angle. How does this make that's very good. you feel? Um, you know, and how did this change you? You know, one of the ways I, I always think about this is, you know, we're always finding out new information. I want to look at, you know, going back to the tech boom or the tech crash, I should say. You know, that was, you know, a couple years where it was just, kind of not horrific returns in any one year, but a couple of years of pretty crummy returns. That is one sort of way the market can crash. How did you feel about that if you were an investor during that period? Go back to 2008. You know, that was a very short, very sharp, very short crash. How did that make you feel? Did you feel differently there? Now we've got 2022, uh, which is kind of, you know, hopefully... Uh, will kind of be in that same kind of 2008 type of mental model where it was very short, very sharp with a pretty solid rebound after the fact. I can't guarantee that, obviously. Hopefully we see something like that. Um, but you want to be thinking through how did those make you feel? How, would I be able to deal with that? What did I do during those time periods? Um, and, and that gives you some really, really good information about your own level of risk tolerance, both within your investments. You, you almost need to, though, like record yourself talking into <laughs> something because five years from now, I, I think that's going to decay, yeah. Yeah, you know, more. or start journaling your, your thoughts or, or something like that. Uh, Wade, because uh, I know you're big into the interest rate stuff and, and things like that. And you may know this better. And this is a cold question. We didn't like rehearse this one, but something I've heard. Not that we rehearse sure the others, Bob is just, just like a fountain of information. Uh, uh, how about the argument, yeah, but rays are rising and stocks don't go up when rays rise. When rays, when rates rise. Sorry, I couldn't say that properly. I mean, directly I know the answer, but uh, what, what do you guys think? What, what are your thoughts around that? I don't know. We're three weeks into the January 2023 now, and already, I'm, I'm working on the book updates. And already since January 1st, interest rates have gone down quite a bit. And 
So it speaks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Markets yep. have been up. It's not just a continual rise. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. The year Good two, point. but uh, yeah, it's really just hard to know what to expect and whether interest rates is one of the hardest variables to try mm-hmm. to predict. Other than today's interest rate is your best estimate of what future interest rates will be. So there's not a whole lot you can go beyond that sort of statement. And Bob, do you place a lot of credence in the, well, stocks are not going to be able to go up until the rates stop going up? No, I don't. Um, You know, I kind of come back to what Wade just said there about how, you know, the best predictor of future interest rates are today's interest rates. It's a really bad predictor, um, but it's the best one we got. So, you know, we start from there. and, And one of the really important things to think about in terms of forecasting future expected returns is that, your interest rates, you know, what the interest rate environment, that's part of how expected returns get built out. You know, that's part of the, you know, depending on exactly how you do it, you know, that's part of the risk-free rate. That's part of, you know, the different risk premia that go into building out your expectations of future res- returns. The other one um, is you can even just look at, you know, periods when interest rates have been rising. Just look at stock market returns in the 80s. You know, that was not a last quarter. That was not (laughs) a period where, you know, the stock market as a whole was doing particularly poorly. Uh, I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but, you know, it was a there's a reason, you know, we have, you know, like Wall Street and all those different types of movies because the market was doing phenomenally well back then. I want to say again. This is top of my head stuff, but the the bull market that, that the longest running bull market that ended like with the dot com yep. crash and all that. I think started in I want to say eighty two uh, or very early eighties. Yeah, mm-hmm. I forget exactly. Oh, or even earlier. Early, early, okay, than that, kind of that type of time frame. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was around eighty two, and you know, interest rates weren't weren't nope. low. <laughs> so um, yeah, the you beginning know. of the boom. But before we get too far beyond these points, too, just Bob, you may want to mention the uh, the value versus yep. growth aspect, which is an area that uh, valued men hit hard for a long time and had a had a good year in 2022. Yeah, no, we, we definitely want to cro- talk about this one because it is something that is is really important to think about. Um, you want to frame that uh, just so people yep. understand what, what we're getting at? Because Wade does bring no, up a absolutely. good point. So, you know, actually, this gets back into that conversation about, you know, as I mentioned, the different risk premia that, that go into building out expected returns. Um, so there's a, a lot of different risk dimensions. Value versus growth is one of the really common ones. So, you know, value stocks versus growth stocks. It's really kind of, you know, growth stocks are those high flyers that everyone's really, really excited about. Um, you know, they have a hot to put it into kind of market type of terms. They have what's called a high price to book um, or, you know, some other metric. So but the market, they're, they're expensive. expensive. The market's willing to pay a lot for, <laughs> you know, whatever the accountants say this thing is worth. On the other hand, we have value stocks, which are not expensive. Um, you know, the market's not willing to pay as much for whatever the accountants say this company is worth. Um, you know, those are your capital intensive manufacturing type of companies generally. Um, whereas growth is, well, those FANG stocks, uh, all those really high flying tech stocks. And, you know, for a while now, uh, growth stocks have been beating value stocks. Um, and, you know, we're starting to see that, that turn around. Um, and I should say one of the reasons we're talking about this is because, you know, when you start kind of breaking it down, Value stocks, um, you know, we expect to have a higher expected return or have a higher return than growth stocks over the long term. Um, And as I just said, growth stocks have been doing real well for a long time now. So a lot of people have been kind of having that conversation. Is that, well, one, still true? Um, Is that something I can rely on going forward? So, um, you know, it's it's nice to see this kind of coming coming around. Definitely, obviously, we have no way of predicting if this will continue or not. But, you know, value, um, you know, over the past year has done incredibly well in the U.S. Large value. Well, this is on a relative basis because it's It's been been negative. negative, But but (laughs) relative to Relative to growth, growth, they've done well. But, you know, to, to put it in perspective, large value and small value in the U.S. stock market 
So large value stocks and small value stocks, those were the two best performing asset classes in the U.S. Um, you know, it feels weird to say, but, you know, at negative seven and a half and negative 14 and a half percent, respectively, on the year. On the other hand, the two worst were small growth, so small growth companies and large growth, large growth companies. They were down uh, 26 and a third and a little more than 29.1% respectively themselves. So if we're looking at them on a relative basis, um, you know, the value premium in the U.S. Uh, so the Russell, the returns of the Russell 3000 value, so basically all the value stocks out there minus the returns of the growth stocks out there in the U.S., it was up almost 21%. Value beat growth by almost 21% over the past year. 21 percentage points. points. Yes, excuse me. Um, you know, in developed international, the value premium was a little more than 17 percentage points. Uh, and even in emerging markets, um, the value premium was up a little more than 8.1%. Um, so, I mean, it had a really, really great year. Um, you know, again, we have no way of guaranteeing or anything like that is, you know, as we always do when we talk about these types of numbers. Uh, but it's nice to see that everything's kind of working appropriately here. So are you getting close to or are you in retirement? Well, investing during retirement is a little bit different than during your working years. Your investments are there to help you pay for retirement. And now is when they need to earn their keep. To make sure you're on the right track, download Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by heading over to retirementresearcher.com slash 8 tips. Again, get Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by going to retirementresearcher.com slash 8 tips. That's the number 8 tips. I, I think I, I think what I would add is I, I think this is important and, and from, the, from the vantage point of how you interpret mm -hmm. this. Uh, somebody could be listening to it saying, well, yeah, it's obvious. The frothiness of coming is coming off the market. Look at the returns of the fangs. There's a secular rotation going away from growth and into value. And value is represented by these industrials. And the industrials are the ones that have been hit hard from COVID. So they've already been prepping for it. Where all the technology companies are right now having to reassess their capital structure, have these mass layoffs, and so it, it, it's obvious yeah. what's going to happen. I think it's going to continue for a while longer. I'm saying these things. I'm almost trying to parrot oh, what absolutely. I hear on TV. Right? <laughs> uh, it's easy to say this after the fact and all of this, and oh, I, I can see this rotation continuing because the infrastructure is back in play and the farm equipment and the railroads and blah 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 blah. I don't know. Not so fast. If you ask me. They don't know that. They're, they're, they're sort of backing into a story here, you know, large. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're right, but yeah, who no. knows is, is what I would say. Bob, or Wade, what are your thoughts on that, Wade? Because I, I think everyone knows where Wade and I, where Bob and I stand on this kind of these kind of uh, statements that are made about secular rotation and this and that. What, 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 what goes through your head when you start hearing people talk about the rotation back into value? I just try to tune it out. I'm not like you wanting to. <laughs> For those of you who are not watching the video of this, we have this up on YouTube, but Wade just gave the most withering look yeah. I've ever seen him give. So. Yeah, yeah. Wade doesn't demean, Wade doesn't, I doesn't demean myself. You see, I, I, I get dirty. Wade doesn't, Wade doesn't get dirty. <laughs> He's above it. He's above the fray. What was your Bill Belichick response, Wade, again? <laughs> I do not demean myself. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> I'm a cord cutter, so I can't watch. No, you ignore it, right? Anyway. You just, you just, huh? I can't. I don't have cable TV anyway to watch that stuff. So. You don't? No. I don't have cable TV. This is its own podcast in and of itself. Really? <laughs> well, you cut, cut, cut the cord or you just don't listen, I... listen to anything? I don't have cable. I don't have. Yeah, you don't need cable anymore. Although that's a completely different. I got topic. Hulu and Netflix and <laughs> Amazon Prime. So. Okay, all right, that's fine. Yeah, all right, right, right. I'm, I'm a hold yeah. up. I'm part of it is I'm just lazy to call it in and stuff like that. <laughs> but but that's me. That's on me, not in you. But effectively, what you're hearing is you ignore that stuff. <laughs> you don't pay any attention to. Oh my goodness! And how I'm going to incorporate this rot sector rotation into my capital markets assumptions that's right yes 
Yeah. Okay. So, Fair enough. That that's I, I agreed. I just wanted to point that out that we we people don't really think about stuff. The other stuff about this value premium and stuff like that, it's a risk based story. Well, that's you know we can have a conversation about that, right? But that's that's where I'm tilting towards. But what about the folks that will say, well, if you look at the Bollinger Bands or if you look at the the 200 day moving average or if you look at this, it's 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 right now above a certain amount and until it hits this resistance, value is going to continue to outperform growth. You know, these kind of chartists, if you will. What's what's your take on that, Bob? Um, when people come at you with those kind of things about how much longer will value be growth? We don't know the answer. We just want to know how you word it. I just want to know how you word it. This is one, uh, don't say anything if you don't have anything nice to say uh, type of situations. There's no value there. There's nothing useful there. All of that information is already in the market. Everyone knows what the price has done previously. That's already, that's already in those prices. What matters is what happens next. What matters is that next piece of news, and not just that next piece of news, how that next piece of news squares with what the market expected to happen. Because um, you know, they could very easily get a great piece of news. But if it wasn't as great as the market expected, the market could still come down. It has nothing to do with There's the that. previous price movements. But, and I, okay, so you, that's a way of saying these charts useless. and all of these all things. Say, yeah. Useless. Doesn't matter because they're looking right. back. Okay. Uh, how is the – can you still make a good case that, look, there's a value premium over the long term that, that it makes worth shifting away from a market portfolio? Absolutely. I mean, it is a risk-based story, so you have to decide if that risk, the, the specific context of that risk makes sense for you if you like that particular risk trade-off. But yes, there is absolutely no reason to believe that the value premium is, has gone away or is broken or doesn't work anymore. Or, you know, pick your, pick your terminology. Um, you know, in fact, you can make a pretty strong case that the – the rationale behind the value premium is even stronger than it was previously because the spreads between value and growth, you know, how expensive or cheap they are. That's that's yeah. where I was going with this. This is an important point yeah. and I want, wanted you yeah, to unpack The spreads, there. I mean, they weren't as good as they were or weren't as – I shouldn't say good. Weren't as big. And what do you mean by spreads? Just because I know yeah. what you mean, but just so the, the spreads. Spread what, what does it mean? Spread of what? The, I guess you could say the – you know, how much the market is willing to pay more for a growth company versus a value company. Those are just phenomenally massive right now in a historical context. So what that's saying is, and again, I want to be very clear, there's no guarantees on any of this type of stuff. It is a risk-based story. You know, markets are noisy, all of the normal. We're not predicting. I get it. We're not, um, we're not predicting. Yeah. What I would say is based on the size of these spreads, I would expect the, the return, my expected return for the value premium would be higher now than it's been in the past. Now, obviously, value, the value premium is positive in 2022. So my expected return in coming into 2022 would be a little higher than it is now, but it's still really friggin' high. Okay, so if I said it like this, historically, Please. and now I'm making these numbers up for the audience listening in, if historically the PE on growth stocks has been 25, that means that you're willing to pay $25 for $1 mm-hmm. worth of earnings, right? So the historically, the PE for growth stocks has been 25. It hasn't. I'm using Just this as an example. Uh, yeah, and the PE for value stocks historically has been 15, yeah. to say a number, where you're willing to pay – $15 for $1 of earnings. Hence, you know, there's a premium to growth stocks because they're more expensive. So that spread is 10. A PE of 10, a PE of 25 versus a PE of 15. All right, let's just say that's the historical spread. You're saying that historical spread has not compressed in the slightest, even though value well, has outperformed. So value stocks haven't bit, technically got it. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 value stocks haven't Word become... More expensive right. on a so PE level. In from, fact, they're uh, you know, say the historical average spread on that PE. And again, this is just round numbers, examples. This is entirely wrong. But you know, if we were to say that was ten on average historically, you know, prior to twenty twenty two, you know, say it was seventeen. 
you know, now we'd be at like 16. Um, so it's come up or it's come down a little <laughs> bit, but it's still massively bigger than, you know, we would have, we would expect to see historically, or we have seen historically, excuse me. And that's important. That that's the, and the way I see that is again, no forecasting here, but okay. So just because value has outperformed growth for, let's say two years, even if it's three years, just to say three years to, you know, if that spread is still significant, that's that 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 seems that that seems interesting yes, to me. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know how I can say that way without saying I'm all in. Yeah. I'm not all in, but it's, it's one of those. It's like, one of those. It's, if ten years ago you liked the value premium, it made sense. You, you love you it now. Love it now. <laughs> um, so I mean, it's the same logic. It's just the numbers have shifted around such that the expected return of that value premium is probably higher than it was in the past. Perfect. And that's a good that's a good ending point here. Wade, uh, since we, we socialized it earlier, the dashboard, and just to bring this podcast, this episode to a close, uh, what do we do with all this? How can we use all of this information, you know, in terms of if I'm a total return investor to, to make sense of potential distribution strategies? And I'm, you know, teeing you up to kind of pique everyone's interest for the, the next week's podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, we we didn't talk about inflation yet, but that's going to be an important variable oh. as well. <laughs> should we? We should probably Sorry. bring up the inflation. <laughs> yeah, talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was I was using my fifty minute limit, yeah, right, but right, right. we can go longer. <laughs> we got a bonus length episode today. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Go on. Hit up inflation. Knock it sure. Uh, okay, we'll touch on inflation. So obviously, inflation has been a a really really big topic, uh, you know, for the past year plus, uh, however long it's been. I forget exactly off the top of my head here, but it's been a while. Um, but we haven't heard quite as much about it over, especially the you know back half of the year, especially the fourth quarter, um, and that's because inflation has been incredibly low. Um, you know, over the, the past few months. So the annual inflation over 2022, you know, again, U.S. CPI type inflation numbers, um, the annual inflation was about six and a half percent. To put that in context, the December, the monthly inflation, um, you know, last month was negative 0.1 percent. So we had a minuscule amount of, of deflation, actually, which, you know, deflation in the long term, that's a big, scary thing. Oh, month to month, that's not unusual. Um, so just to, to put that out there. But the last kind of – I'm sorry, wait. I think you're muted there. Um, but the, the last kind of big number change that we saw was actually all the way back in, in June when inflation jumped uh, 1.3% that month. But ever since then, it's been kind of low decimal type of numbers, you know, 0.1, 0.2, 0.3. I think we had a month or two at 0.4. Um, so pretty, pretty small amounts, you know, that six and a half, the bulk of that came the, the first half or so of the year. Um, and again, getting back to Alex, your point there about, you know, cool, we can, we can all read the Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics press releases and, and get hmm. those numbers ourselves. What we care about is what does this tell us about the future? What's going to happen next? And that's some really, really interesting stuff. Um, you know, one of the ways, Wade, I know you do the same thing I do here on, is when we're looking at future inflation, what we actually can do is we can use the market to predict what inflation is going to look like over time. Um, and what we do is we basically just subtract um, the, the tips yield from you know the nominal treasury yield um, and the difference there, that's how much the market is expecting inflation to be. That's how much someone is willing to pay to get rid of inflation. You know they're still going to get that treasury return just in real, in a real fashion, an inflation-adjusted fashion. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what we're seeing those numbers. is what's that. I was just looking at those numbers on January 1st, and, and over the next five years, it's 2.3%. That's kind of the built-in expected average inflation rate. And that's actually the same as over the next 30 years, too. So yep. we're looking at long-term expectations of 2.3% inflation, yeah, which is well in below fact, historical numbers. 
Yeah, in fact, uh, it's even gone down since then. Um, so, Wade, you were looking at January 1 numbers. I pulled the numbers. We're recording this on, on Thursday. Uh, so the Wednesday numbers, that five-year was at 2.09%. So over oh, the next five okay. years. Okay, so so me being a bit of a, you know, just to stir the pot, what, why doesn't the Fed then say, okay, well, it seems controlled if the – expected two years the same as expected 30 at 2.3 that's a good number that's within my mandate let me stop raising rates why doesn't i'll care about that well i guess you'd have to know what those, those expectations may involve people believing <laughs> what the future policy will be and if the fed did something different that's the kind of shock that bob's talking about where yep. suddenly the expectations need to change that's the perfect answer. I just wanted to kind of I'm, – I'm trying to play the role of somebody listening saying, well, you know, isn't the Fed reading this? Why don't they just stop? And your answer is, well, it's kind of – the expectation is that the Fed will continue. <laughs> and so that's why it's this. You know, I know that you know that exactly. I know kind of thing. Uh, I, mean, I just yeah, wanted the to other thing call point out, out is, the, you know, the chess game. Uh, the other piece of information that I think is, is worth calling out here is not just the Fed movement but actually the unemployment rate. You know, we're seeing really, really low unemployment numbers, which is normally something that kind of drives up inflation. Um, you know, more people have jobs. Companies have to pay those people more to get them to to hire those people. So there's more money just kind of circulating around the economy, which tends to push up those inflation type of numbers. So that's that's also in the mix there as well. Um, you know, so we're, you know, potentially looking at pretty darn low inflation numbers over both the, the short term. You know, right now we're looking at a one year inflation number from the market's expectation about one point eight, uh, you know, all the way out to you know, 30 year is two point one something. Um, you know, the, putting that into context, the historical average annual inflation is about two point eight, two point nine percent. Um, you know, so we're seeing below average inflation, uh, you know, over the long term here. Or expect yeah, but Bob, I'm, I, I go to the store right now and eggs are seven bucks. So this is you this can is tell me all of this has huh? changed starting from the level. I, 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 I'm, I'm, again, I'm not. I'm, it's not me yep. talking. I, I'm, you know, you. you and yeah, no, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely people, right. People listen to it and say, Bob, these are just numbers. You're crazy. Eggs are at seven bucks. Yes. Um, you know, we're starting from the point where we are right now, just like if we were to look back at the 1950s. You know, there's there's no more penny candy stores. Um, I don't know if that was the 1950s or not, but, you know, earlier on, there's no penny candy stores anymore. Um, you know, a couple, I, I, I think another way to maybe say that is what's done is done. The inflation that has occurred yes. has occurred. Um, and very emphatically, but going forward, as I mentioned, you know, long term inflation or long term deflation is scary and economy wrecking. We don't want to go backwards. Um, so, you know, I mean, what we're looking at is is what happens moving forward. <laughs> yeah, 2022 is a tough year, though, but interest rates are higher now. Uh, inflation is higher, but ultimately expected to come back under control as long as things as progress as people expect them to. And that does lay a foundation for better retirement spending numbers than before. And if you've used our funded ratio tool, just the rise in the interest rate you're able to use, and that does help dramatically. So now, as I'm getting to the stage of being closer to putting the finishing touches on a revised edition of the Retirement Planning Guidebook, the uh, it looks better. The, the case studies look better. The Having higher interest rates helps dramatically to improve the funded status of a retirement plan. And so that is at least one optimistic note to, <laughs> to, to leave that. As long as it has corresponding right. inflation with it. So the other thing we call out off that point, uh, you know, if you've done the retirement income challenge in the past with the retirement researcher and you want to get a better result on your funded ratio, now's the time to, to sign up for another one. So... Uh, and then uh, next week we'll go into the the dashboard. Sounds good, right? That kind of uh, extends the the good news of of the current environment. Uh-huh. So, all right, all right, everyone. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Yes, thanks, and thank you, Bob. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and retirement researcher. 
Both are SEC registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.